Hey, I'm Zanzi and welcome to Farmers Inside Track episode 179 powered by Nedbank. I'm your host, Donumdu. In this edition, we welcome back Maluta Nechaula, an agricultural economist and banker at Nedbank. This program was brought to you by Nedbank Commercial Banking, the growth partner that thinks bigger about your agribusiness needs. Welcome back to Farmers Inside Track. It's always a pleasure to have you with me. I think over the past few weeks, we've really gotten to pick your brain, you get to know what you think about the agricultural sector as part of this campaign that we're doing with NetBank, but more so just to advance, you know, farmers and give them all the information that they need to know to be able to grow in the sector. Welcome back, and I hope that you're well. Thanks, Don. It's good to be here as always, and also welcome back to you. Over the past few weeks, we've covered so much ground. We spoke about agri-tech, we spoke about sustainable agriculture, how to be able to work with nature in a sustainable way. And this week, we're specifically focusing on agricultural value chains. We're going to touch a bit on load shedding and more around the issues around transformation. But maybe we can start with an explainer on agriculture's value chains and how this specifically contributes to the South African economy and also driving this economic growth and employment within the country? It is basic form. I think value chains are those activities that involve adding value to a primary product. But in agriculture, you've got the farmer at the center, and then you've got these people that provide services and input all that to the farmer. So those ones, they assist the farmer to be able to plant. And then after the farmer has done all the production that's required, the planting, the fertilizers, the chemicals, the irrigation, the harvesting, and then they're taking it to market. Those activities that has to do with adding value to that product, like milling, if it's grains, either for animal feed or for human consumption with white maize, or if it's sunflower into producing the sunflower oil or the paste, whatever the case might be. Or if it is like citrus, when it goes into the pack house to be cleaned, to be polished, to be export. Or if it's livestock, if it has to go into in the abattoir uh, for processing and slicing and packaging so that it gets to retailers in, in the condition in which us demanding customers like me and you would want to see it without any blemish or, or something that will sort of detract us from buying that produce. So it is those activities in terms of or forward and backward linkages. The others, they say downstream and upstream activities in terms of agriculture. And the sector, in terms of the primary production, which is the farmer, the sector contributes about 2% to the GDP, which is about maybe 400 billion rand per annum. And then the value adding adds another, say, 5% to that, making it maybe, let's say, 7% contribution to GDP. That is pretty much what, what value chains are all about, Don. And there are definitely numerous opportunities for people within the agricultural space to tap into, and that should never be mm-hmm. overlooked. Thank you so much Perfect. just for you know, making that clear for us. What is the importance of continual investment within the sector, especially when it comes to you know, for transformation? What is your take on that? And I think the most important thing is that continual investment. How do we sort of sustain it and ensure that we sort of drive this in terms of transformation within the agricultural space? 
Investment in agriculture is quite important and it comes in different forms. I mean, obviously, the main stakeholders here are the farmers themselves. They're investing every year, time, money and everything into to what they do. When it comes to funding, you know, in farming, unless if you're extremely wealthy, you have sort of cash flags, then you can do all that work from your own resources. But the majority of farmers, they rely on debt funding, on funding from external sources to be able to carry out their activities. They will come to like a financial institutions like NetBank and say, no, I want to maybe plant maize or soya or whatever. And then we will fund them that for direct inputs as well as for indirect inputs through working capital like overdrafts and all that. Or they come to the bank and say, I want to buy a farm. An opportunity has come up in the market. My neighbor is retiring or uh, moving abroad or just doesn't want to farm anymore. And then the best way and probably the only way to expand agriculture that is seamless is to buy adjacent farms. Then we'll then be able to assist that farmer with a, a loan, medium term loans to be able to buy that farm. Or the farmer can come and say, I want to buy a bucky, or I want to buy a combine harvester, or I want to buy implements, or I just want to improve my farm. Then we'll be able to assist with those, with those resources through asset-based finance or term lending or whatever the case might be. So there's a lot of investments that our farmers make every year. It is quite risky to do so, but being optimistic and being South Africans is what keeps them going, having that, that obligation in terms of, first of all, their own family for livelihoods, the country for food security, as well as job creation, all those things that, are quite in, that our farmers do hold quite dear. The other thing is around transformation, that it's quite important, especially given that we've got an aging commercial farmer base at around maybe 60, 62 average age of a commercial farmer. And then that number is also declining every year. For example, you've got 40,000 commercial farmers. The rule of thumb is that you will probably using 1,000 of those every year, which is quite staggering. And also you'll find that, I think we also covered this in our previous episodes, that it's not common cause that a child of a farmer would want to go into farming because you could have a child and let's say you are, let's say a journalist, doesn't mean that your child would want to be a journalist. So there are those dynamics. So how do we then replace those guys that are living through aging and lack of succession planning? It's then to bring in new players into the space from other sectors like franchising, manufacturing, and logistics, for them to see the sector as an asset class, as an opportunity for investment, or we bring the guys that are already doing it, albeit at a smaller scale, like smallholder farmers, emerging farmers, you know, new era farmers, as you guys will call them. Then we sort of upscale those guys, give them capacity, the funding, and all that to be able to fill that gap that the other guys would have left. Often you find that the big commercial farmers will buy those, which is not bad, but in terms of socioeconomic imperatives for that pie to be divided amongst many. So that's what transformation seeks to assist also from a household full security perspective. So transformation is quite key. And, and as us at NetBank, we are playing quite in solutions there to be able to, to address those needs of the market because we do want to see inclusive growth into the sector that is reflective of our rainbow nation. Definitely. I think I just want to echo that sentiment and say that the work that we do daily, even at Food for Mzanzi, is specifically mm-hmm. focused on that as well and sort of showcasing it 
and ensuring that there's accountability when it comes to the transformation that we need to see within the yes. agricultural space. So thanks so much for highlighting that, Maluta. I think in South Africa, any citizen cannot go through their day without hearing the word load shedding. So yeah. how is load shedding impacting growth within the agricultural space? I think there are so many aspects that and it really impacts farmers in such a great way. But just, you know, as your opinion as an agricultural economist, just to talk more about what is the impact of load shedding when it comes to growth within the sector. Yeah, for instance, we were supposed to have this interview earlier, but you couldn't because you had a load shedding incident. I think that's the order of the day. And then farmers as well go through such, like us, you know, residents, like people with the residential space in our homes. Farmers also go through the same. And for them, I think it's, it's quite bad because you cannot say, no, let me wait. Um, I will do a certain activity if it's irrigation later because it's very much time specific. If you need to irrigate, optimal time for irrigation, farming, you know, you find that maybe you do it in the evening or you do it in the early mornings to avoid too much precipitation or evaporation of water or wind and all that stuff. So it needs to be done at a specific time. So if there's going to be low shading at that time, means that now there's going to be an impact on the yield, on the production of food, so which is quite bad. And then there's also other enterprises such as poultry in terms of broiler establishment, like for chickens or layers, where they require quite a lot of energy to keep those houses cool or to heat them or feeding. It's very much energy intensive. And if you're going to have low shading, then the weight there will be impacted because it's very technical for those chickens to gain a certain weight every day in terms of the food conversion ratios. And so it goes. Greenhouses, very much dependent on energy, cold rooms, pack houses, even security for our farmers around their boundaries of their farms. It's also reliant on energy. So that's quite important. And yesterday I was at a dairy farmer in the Eastern Cape, they are around Alexandria. He's quite a good newcomer, new era farmer, black commercial farmer. He's milking about, let me say, a thousand cows. And he will ask him about the impact of low shedding. And he did say that it is quite a problem because now he's having to spend about 6,000 liters every month for that downtime, you know, that interruption as a result of low shedding. So we just shows that it is having quite an impact. And the funny thing is that with low shading doesn't reduce anyone's bill. If you check your bill, probably the same as other other months. So it's always the same. So even with farmers, they're having to cough up more money to be able to operate, to not have that downtime as a result of low shading. So it is a huge concern, but you know, our farmers always make a plan and always make sure that we do have food on, on our plates every day. The innovation that we've seen within the agricultural space to sort of navigate Load shedding has been very creative and can also just the main farmers for that as well. What can financial institutions do to help overcome the anticipated deceleration of growth predicted by the Bureau of Food and Agricultural Policy towards the end of this year, that's 2022, and into 2023? There's a lot of shocks that are coming through in terms of interest rates went up by 75 basis points with a sector as highly dependent on debt funding. So that's going to be squeezing our farmers' margins. We've got low shedding. We've got a lot of infrastructure issues, road, ports, rail. We've got pressure from the international community. We've got biosecurity 
threats, you know, that seems to be unrelenting every year. So it's quite important for farmers to really focus on what, what really matters, go back to basics, become more efficient in the way they do things, adopt new technology and innovation so that they can help them to become efficient, to reduce costs. You've got like the fertilizers going up 200, 400% since like your last year or beginning of, of COVID. It's quite a tough space. I don't envy our farmers. I do celebrate them in terms of what they are doing and their resilience, you know. Like from our side is to help our farmers to carry on, to work with them, to find solutions to the issues in the space. If they're looking for funding to be able to adopt innovative production practices, we are there to assist them, to guide them, to recommend best people in the industry to be able to take them forward. As a purposeful bank, it's our purpose being using our financial expertise to do good, really play that out in the market. And, and I think our farmers and the sector does appreciate in terms of the work that we do, our sustainability solutions, our growth solutions, our risk mitigants in terms of insurance. We are there to provide holistic solutions for farmers that will then help them to achieve or realize their growth and aspirations, basically. And then my last question, and I think we touched on this earlier, Maluta, is what is NetBank's approach to growth and transformation of the agricultural sector? And maybe you can also just explain how the bank has made this a priority and tell us more about the SA Pulse initiative aimed at changing the narrative for farmers. Transformation is quite important. I think we've covered this quite a lot, even in this interview. As a country, from a social perspective, it is not something that we can brush aside or under the carpet or, you know, just ignore something that we need to do it from a social cohesion perspective, as well as from a food security perspective, as well as job security in terms of the creation of jobs. In terms of how we see the sector and the, our solution approach, I think these days is all about partnerships. Back in the day, it was all about doing things on your own, try to use the resources that you have internally in an institution to solve for a market or a client's need. But it has become quite apparent that, especially also looking back in hindsight to say that, hey, we might have gotten that way. Maybe it was not the best thing to do because when you see the results and the impact, it's not what we want to see. So the approach now is to go to organizations that are already doing something. They've got solutions for farmers. They are working with farmers. They are on the ground. They've got examples, real case studies, what they've done, bringing people together, established commercial farmers, and then new era farmers, putting them into a room, having those robust discussions, and also understanding what each party wants from a relationship, and then putting resources, agreements, roles and responsibility, accountability, structures together so that these people are able to achieve what they are said to achieve. So that is what SA Pulse is doing, which is a private organization for farmers by farmers, which originated there in the Western Cape in the Visenberg area, and has since expanded to Mpumalanga and Maluti Pulse in, in the Free State. Our involvement was to recognize the beautiful work that they are doing. Visited them about three times already this year, and visited the farmers on the ground, and we really got inspired and said we want to be part of this journey. We want to be part of this story. 
and we sort of took it upon ourselves to say that we want what they're doing is good, but we want it to expand to all the regions, you know, to really increase that impact. And we did so through a non-recoverable enterprise development funding of about $7 million for over three years at an annual level of about $2 million per annum with an extra million rent, which would be dedicated for training of the parties, the farm workers, the commercial and new era farmers to really make sure that they go through this training, understand and know what they need to do. Because there's always these dynamics where you've got established farmer, you've got this new era farmer or someone who used to be a farmer. Then how do you elevate that person when they come into a boardroom that they now know they are no longer a farm worker, but they are now a business owner. So you need to be able to change that mindset, provide the skills required, negotiation, be able to have that foresight in terms of the business, be able to manage people, make decisions, understand financials and all those things. So that's quite important work that they are doing. So through that commitment, we actually announced this partnership at, at Nampu Cape, the Inbreda store a few months ago, which was quite well received by the market. That's the work that SA Pulse is doing. And we are now uh, formal partners and we're sort of advocating for them. We're bringing them into our CVP or client value proposition, which will be going out to market formally maybe sometime next year. But the funding has already started for them to capacitate, bring new people, expand to other regions. So that's what SA Pulse is all about. Sounds absolutely amazing, Maluta. And it warms my heart just hearing you talk about it. I'm very familiar with the initiative and it's so amazing that you guys are backing it. And I'm so happy to see the transformation and the growth within the sector based on the support and just to see the farmers flourish and go from strength to strength. So thank you so much, Maluta. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always. Looking forward to our next discussion. This program was brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking, the growth partner that thinks bigger about your agribusiness needs. Thanks once again for joining us, Yamaluta. It's always a pleasure chatting to you and looking forward to our next session. And that, of course, brings us to the end of this episode. From me, Do Numdu, our producer, Mingan Van Defend, and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team have an absolutely amazing week. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans, though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.